it's your death sentence for this week. Uh, so, uh, literary news. Um, lots of people seem to be wearing blackface now. Landon, are you wearing blackface? You are from Virginia, I believe. I don't have the micro. Uh, I don't have the camera on, and that's that's a good thing because you'd see that there's a non-zero chance it's a white person in Virginia that I might be wearing blackface. I'm going to decline to answer your direct question because I don't I want understand. to myself. But uh, the, the the great American uh, tradition, and by American I mean specifically Virginia tradition of white people wearing blackface all the time, even though we know it's wrong, and it's been wrong literally since the inception of blackface, and we all know exactly why it's wrong. Still going strong in 2019. Glad to see traditions kept alive. Yeah, and I'm glad we started new traditions as well. Like, um, if we ever want a politician to just go away and they're on vaguely on the left, we just call them an anti-Semite with no real justification. And then everyone just repeats the same thing over and over again, and it just becomes true. It's um, true. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we're really underestimating politically the value of uh, the statement that Palestinian children and teenagers getting shot in the head by sniper rifles is um, it's actually anti-Semitic to say that's bad. Highly, yeah, and which is and it's strange because someone might go, but aren't Palestinians also Semitic? To which I'd say, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that, if someone said that, I would call them an anti-Semite. And then everyone else would have to call them an anti-Semite too, otherwise they would become anti-Semites. It's and true. that person would just be uh, cancelled, and that's the T. Now, in a dark bit of irony, um, like, and by that I mean exceptionally dark, I was reading this literally just before uh, we started doing this. I think yesterday, a yeshiva in upstate uh, New York was set on fire... And then the burned walls had swastikas spray-painted on them. Because yeah. it's just a shit show in America. Oh, yeah, in here in Manchester, uh, two days ago, a, a Jewish cemetery was vandalized. Again, swastikas everywhere. And um, I had this weird idea that maybe that's not the left doing that. I think... <laughs> it was, sorry, am I being anti-Semitic by saying that? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling okay, I'm not with the anti-Semitism because I feel like saying that, I mean, socialism is in the name of the National Socialist Party. We can't ignore that. They said it, and Nazis don't lie or say things that aren't true, so ergo, they are socialists, which are, of course, the left. It's facts and logic. Facts and logic, man. And speaking of... Feeling. Yeah, speaking of... Uh, what are they called? TP USA is now in Britain, and are getting. Oh round... thank God, you get to deal with the shit now. Yeah, and we're we're dealing really well because they're a laughing stock already. Oh, that's and, good. Uh, yeah, uh, any everyone apart from like the the main right wing papers considers their whole launch to be a massive joke and to have failed in every conceivable way, and uh, all of the parody accounts to be actually just much better versions of the main account, which is just own it itself every single day and if you go to one of its posts you'll find me just um having commented like guys this, this is just sad what are you doing and i got like a hundred um likes and mm -hmm. it's currently at the top of one of their posts and they can see it every time they look at their post and i'm yeah i, I don't want to like you know talk only about my social media successes as a content creator but that was that was one of them Currently uh, doing that hardline grassroots marketing for uh, for death sentence by owning TPUSA. Yeah, they own themselves. I, I just yeah, I just put a little cherry on the cake. Don't. You yeah. you give you give acknowledgement to their hard work because it's really a labor of love on their end to be so stupid and shitty in public constantly. Oh yeah, they and they're really really gone hard to set up the like owning that they will eventually dish out to themselves they're being funded by this weird multi-millionaire scientologist who is also a QAnon uh, believer uh, one of their main <coughs> they've like this little group of like 17 year old hairless kissless virgins and one of them has been fined for uh illegal campaign contributions to brexit things already 
and he's only like 12 or he looks 12 but he also looks like a pedophile they all look like children and pedophiles and classic uh, right wing look to be honest they've been nailing that look for decades now yeah like when you're right winger you start off is your life cycle is you start off looking like a a tiny tiny child even though you're like 25 i.e ben shapiro or charlie kirk who's also got a tiny face then you go on a little bit and then you become immensely old you just become like rotten decaying like emperor from star wars looking old really quick now to be fair there's also we're missing that that liminal state where they're um where they look like they're 70 even though they're like 15 oh yeah you you age rapid it's like clones they just like hit a certain wall then suddenly bam they're 50 right now like like i'm balding happens happens to people with uh that testosterone your your brain gets all shit and then your hair all falls out and that sucks but I don't look like I'm 90, unlike Stephen Miller, who, to my yeah. knowledge, is younger than me, but looks he, like yeah. he is 60. Oh, yeah. His hairline is, like, most of the way back on his head. It's gone. It's <clears throat> virtually gone now. I don't, I don't know what it is. But... And again, to clarify, there's nothing wrong with looking, you know, having that, that elderly vibe. There's some power to that, and that's experience. That's lessons learned. You know, you don't want to be ageist here. But when you're, when you're 28 and you look like you're 60 it's probably because racism has aged you dramatically like a like a cursed goblet hmm. or like you've broken a uh, like a witch's uh, little knickknack in her cart and now she has doomed you to early senescence hmm. yeah so yeah um conservatives are both racist and hypocrites on the whole israel thing and they're just old as fuck all of them so yeah so conservatives still are bad uh literary news um there's <coughs> that book um is it red, uh, red leopard black wolf i always get that one wrong i think it's black wolf red leopard okay i'm, I'm never gonna get it right <coughs> if you search those two colors and those two animals you will find the book yeah it's, it's, it's embarrassing that we can't get it right because it's actually a great book it's fucking lit as fuck. It's amazing. I'm like uh, maybe a hundred pages in already, and yeah, I'm I, I'm roughly about the same. It's so fucking good. Oh my Elevator. god! What if Game of Thrones was African as hell and also uh better written and somehow hornier? It's, it's true. Loads more horny to Game of Thrones. It's horny in the way that, like, the boar. If you ever read that book, was horny. Um, the boar. Oh yeah, that was that was amazing. That's like the the nearest comparison, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, of like Game of Thrones. Of a, it's it's fantasy, but also has that like uh, magical realist slipstream kind of vibe to it, which is to say, it's fantasy written by someone who knows how sentences work, but mm. also knows when to be stupid as hell. Yeah. It knows when to drop those IQ points. And just give me that dumb shit. Hmm. Yeah, give Very me good. monsters that are walking on the ceiling. Give me, like, everyone fucking everyone else. Wow. Um, it, it's one of the queerest books you'll ever read. It's Everything's in there. No you matter what, what you prize, Normally that means that you're bad at writing. But in this case, actually it means that he's good at writing. They sneak Amazing, that in yeah. sometimes. And, uh, yeah, Brief History of Seven Killings was incredible. It was one of the few man book of winners that's really deserved it and um yeah marlon james and he's a cool guy too he's like you know he's yeah. good, po good yeah, politics funny guy he's nice he's dressed cool... to the fucking nines if you look up pictures of him dude is dressed suave as fuck oh yeah he deserves he's... a shout out those tops that he's wearing all the time amazing yeah great guy so that's the literary news for this week and uh, we will be talking about that soon because it's simply yeah. too tight not to yeah, I'm hoping to get some cool guests on to talk about that as well. It's yeah, it's a it's one of those like oh shit, we gotta do this books. Uh, Devore was one of those as well, and it sucks I haven't read the second two in the trilogy because I read the first and was like holy shit. I'm lucky and, that um they never came out in America until really? the uh, the omnibus version came out, which is I say omnibus, it's only about five or six hundred pages. They were they were really short novels, but. Yeah, in Britain, you guys actually got the three books in sequence. Hmm. 
Yeah, we did. But, um, but we're going to talk about probably the the only other book I've seen recently that's got as much hype as uh, Red, Black, whatever. And that is The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Wai-Jung Wang. And she's had one novel out already. Uh, a lot of um, reportage and journalist pieces and opinion stuff in various uh, stuff around the world and so it's a collection of essays about the author's uh, schizoaffective disorder and bipolar disorder uh, potentially some other stuff too and she's yeah she's had a rough go of it is uh, the summation here uh, it's one of the few things I've read where the primary thing I want to like if I she suddenly appeared in front of me right now it wouldn't be just hey you've written a really amazing book it would be hey i'm really sorry you have to deal with all this whereas you know i don't and it's not like i've been the most mentally healthy person in the world but it, she's yeah she's got yeah, it, it much it, worse it than i have yeah it reframes and contextualizes um quite a bit some of the struggles that we go through like you see online a lot um it's a good thing it can sometimes be mishandled but it's overall a good thing a sense of mindfulness for our mental health and the mental health of others but something like this helps us reevaluate the occasional pitch those conversations take where you um you get a grip of how wide the scale can go or spectrum Mm. can go rather yeah i mean some of the the things she undergoes like uh Cotard's delusion is one that um, she seems to get recurring in her life. And that's where you literally believe that you're dead. You believe that she believed she was uh, in like a purgatory, that she had died in her sleep and woken in purgatory and she'd had another chance at life, which is a relatively compared to a lot of people who suffer from that is quite a nice one. Uh, some people believe that they're, they're rotting from the inside out and they they need to go to the morgue to be before the other dead people it, it's a fucking horrible horrible thing to undergo yeah um which is making we're making it sound like a misery memoir at the moment uh, which were like a popular form like four or five years back and it's not a misery memoir because a it's cut up into nice little essay sized chunks that are all on different topics and B, it's not really asking for your sympathy. You'll be sympathetic if you're an okay person, but it's not out to make you feel good because you empathized with Miss um, Wang's suffering. Yeah, it, it's to teach you about schizophren- the collected schizophrenias, including schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia itself, and schizoid personality disorder which are all like clustered together and they're, they're very different and very uh yeah it's, it's a complicated subject there's a lot of talk about the uh, dsm-5 and 4 in here um about treatment protocols whether you're in university or in the real world it's yeah it's <coughs> it's here to te- i think a good part to teach you about the about the schizophrenias and yeah. It, it touched on a bit some things that have um, not so much been on my mind recently, but like incidentally hovered into my orbit. So I'm friends with uh, Kat Katz, um, the vocalist of, she was a vocalist of Salome, also did work with a agoraphobic nosebleed, but has since left that group as well. And outside of metal, um, does a lot of therapy work, just a tremendous person, and has a lot of experience with um, schizophrenia and uh, therapy and aid for people with schizophrenia um and she happened to link recently uh an article saying that doctors are starting to look into reclassifying the schizotypal like body of uh diseases as um neurological disorders rather than purely uh mental health ones or psychological ones yeah as we um when talks about that in the book people yeah. wanted to think of it as a, a bacterial infection rather than a something that could be social or could be anything really and it it strikes at sometimes the um the deep structural 
element that schizophrenia can affect. And this, I think, part of uh, it's part of what separates this from, say, like a misery memoir in that she's very clear on focusing on how schizophrenia is not it's not a thing where you can easily imagine life outside of it because it's a, a structural reconfiguration of a brain. Um, and it produces certain unique issues that are, that are sometimes worthy of sympathy and worthy of, of empathetic response, but also is a, um, a formal restructuring to a degree that something like misery or condolence doesn't make sense in that context. And yeah. she talks oh, about the um, how the gray matter in your in a schizophrenic's brain will um, be destroyed like a wildfire going over it. It'll just patches will come up and they'll just burn away almost. And there's no coming back from that. If your gray matter's gone, it's gone. It's uh yeah, it's a structural neurological problem when it happens. It's uh really terrifying. Yeah, and it um she. She has the wisdom when uh, when writing about disease, which is a um, which is not necessarily an underrepresented body within literature, but more a a very easily misunderstood one because we have so many social um, social stigmas and difficulties in discussing um, disease in general and how it affects us. I mean, we see that with um, the uphill battle that say disability rights and disability just awareness activists deal with of trying to represent what um, the breadth of disability looks like and how to um, incorporate and be inclusive towards those. Um, but that literature about illness um, tries to make flat that these are a, in one hand, terrifying and in another hand, normal part of the human condition. They may not be um, like statistically the average, like you're, most people do not deal with schizotypal disorder, but they're frequent enough that this isn't, it's not meant as a woe is me, it's meant as a, like this is a very real part of the world and to deliberately not know about it because of either you're worried of the terror of it or you're worried of buying into a, uh, like an overly sympathetic, um, self-aggrandizing feeling uh would be like deciding not to know about starvation like mm, it's it's yeah. simply too big to adequately put away mm, yeah um and she's one of the things she's good at is being very fair with the interpretations of what schizophrenia is and um and kind of the the ways in which she's treated it as in her own life and she's gone through a lot of different treatments all the different drugs electroconvulsive therapy uh and even like witchcraft that um in one essay uh, she talks about um <clears throat> an essay towards the end uh, beyond the hedge she talks about not using you know, um magic to treat schizophrenia but to as a kind of complementary medicine to it it's um that's one i want to did, did you read that particular essay is that one i i did i had um i'd actually heard bits about that online um because there's it's been a tremendous amount of buzz around this book um and that one seemed to be um directly applicable to some like long long-term interests that i've been writing about myself um, for a while mm. and hearing it yeah. from someone who's just bones up a better writer than me um, <laughs> was uh, was a satisfying one because I really I really um, I felt it really satisfying the way that she discussed that we sometimes get this weird skewed form of magic and magical practice and if you spend a lot of time online without naming names or citing tropes you'll know the kinds of people that we're talking about and she's clear to say that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but we need to envision it as something separate. It's not meant to replace science or medicine. It's not meant to replace therapy. It's That's not its role. It's more that um, 
if those things help us see outside of the personal lens and the experiential lens to get it like, well, how does my body actually work and how can I uh, alter those things? Then magic is a way of acknowledging, well, I still have that interior experience. Like I can't get rid of it. It's not going to go away. And maybe this will soothe me in a therapeutic sense there so that these other um, non-internal methods can can work on me better or I can be more effective with those or even just it feels satisfying and alleviation of terror is is also worthwhile. Oh yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of terror that she goes through in this. Um and yeah, I mean we're, we're making it sound like it's all uh doom and gloom and for a certain part yeah, sure it is because it's going to be, but it's kind of there's a lot of bits that are kind of funny or just like an ordinary person's life. I mean, she, she's talking about in uh, Beyond the Hedge essay about uh, the show Legion, which is one of the only two good shows on TV. The other one being um, Atlanta. Legion is fucking amazing. Fargo's pretty good too. It's made by the same guy. But um, yeah, she and there's a whole essay, well, two essays really about pop cultural stuff. One about uh, her going to see the film Lucy which i haven't ever seen it kind of looks bad and virtually everything with scarlett Johansson in is terrible because i don't think she knows how to pick films but um yeah she basically goes to a, a movie theater to see lucy and the film affects her in a really profound and kind of dangerous way where it kind of gets into her head and makes her question what is real and she has that with like watching doctor who which is crazy to me because the special effects on that are terrible no one could get be convinced that was real and it's um and there's a whole essay on the um slender man thing by which i mean the thing where two like little girls decide to stab another little girl so they could go live with slender man from the internet in his mansion in the woods You've probably heard about that if you're sufficiently online. But uh, yeah, there's a whole whole last thing about that. So, which kind of, you know, if you were going to think it's a misery memoir, then it's clearly not because there's whole bits that are not about her at all. Was, she, um, she focuses on one of the key elements of writing well, regardless of the topic or genre, and that's a fullness of humanity, even if you are writing about architecture or writing, you know, far future sci-fi or writing uh, a literary historical novel. It's all sort of built around that idea of um, that, that sense of fullness and roundedness in order to contextualize when she wants you to feel terror or to know her terror, to know her misery, you'll feel it keenly and understand the context in which it's arising because you get those little funny small moments that occur in her life. Um, she, uh, it reminds me a lot, and it's fitting that we're talking about it here, it reminds me a lot of the best moments of extreme music as as an ecosystem. Touch on both like the absurd, like apocalyptically miserable um, elements of uh, humanity and like the the wretchedness and the horror of it, but then we'll put that right next to something like... Um, uh, guar <laughs> yeah it's like they aren't meant to be separate they don't one doesn't work well without the other because why is something horrible or terrifying or miserable doesn't make sense if that is the entire body of being if that were all of reality you'd reconcile yourself to it very easily because that's just all there is but it's because it sits right next to these other things like she's having She's just going to see a dumb movie by Luc Besson and then has um, a psychotic episode because of it and it has issues with connecting uh, with reality that it's because it sits right next to that like, oh, you mean she becomes a supercomputer lady? Tight. <laughs> um, yeah, I have no interest in seeing that film. I was, I was very briefly considering watching it just so I knew roughly about it, but then it's going to be terrible, isn't it? Every single I, Scarlett Hansen movie is. I like it a lot, but I have to be clear about why I like it. Um, I have a friend who likes it, I think, a little bit too much. But it is, we've talked about this before, where 
fake deep is a like an aesthetic veil that sci-fi has. Um, there is actual like deep, weighty philosophical science fiction, not just like that, but science fiction that looks and sounds like it's philosophical, but it's actually stupid and full of shit is a tradition of sci-fi. <laughs> you either love it or you hate it, but it, it's like the Van Halen of science fiction. You can't really, it's as indivorceable from it as spaceships go pew, 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 pew. Um, and Lucy is, again, made by Luc Besson. He's the fifth element guy. Um, he also made 10,000 BC. No, that was Ronald Emmerich. Sorry, they're the same guy in my brain. Um, but yeah, Luc Besson made the fifth element. So it's the same level of, if you're like nine, the shit will blow your mind and feel like it's cosmic and super deep, like like those great Mobius um, comics, the the comic artists come come to life. Yeah. Didn't and you then, do that um, that uh, Mobius film? Valerian. Uh, Valerian, yeah. He did, yeah same, that was him, right? Yeah. Same also. same thing, only it's since it's Luc Besson, it comes to life and you realize that it's actually Jupiter Ascending. And if you don't like Jupiter Ascending, fuck yourself. Um, Definitely, yeah. Because that movie... Stop listening right now. Way. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And, and so, like... Yeah, I could go on about Jupiter ascending for a long time, and it's gender politics, which is which is solid. Yeah, yeah and we, we 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 agree on Jupiter ascending. And thankfully, that one's been rising in its esteem of a contemporary, sincere B movie. Like they they didn't make it as a joke. They made the Wachowski sisters made that because they love that kind of film, and it it shows it's astoundingly great for the thing it's trying to be, and. With Lucy, it gets presented as a deep science fiction film, and on that end, it's stupid and terrible and fails. But if you view it as that same, like, absurdist um, sci-fi B-film, it's immensely good. It's dumb as stones, though. It's it's gorgeously stupid. Oh, yeah. Beautifully stupid. Wonderfully. And, you know, okay, that's a good segue onto the music here, because I found this band... I think they were in like, um, I think they were in like Brooklyn Vegan or, or somewhere that like rarely does metal, but then when they do, it's always really interesting. Uh, I think it was Brooklyn Vegan, and it uh, so they're called Zigzags. They're from Los Angeles. Uh, I know nothing else about them. They seem to have been around a little while. They've got some demos and uh, a split with Fell Ohms. No idea who they are either. But um, this is going to be their first album. It's called They'll Never Take Us Alive. And the first song on it, which is the only song that's been released so far, is called Punk Fucking Metal. And it really earns that title. It sounds like Judas Priest and Metallica just recorded on a cassette tape in somebody's garage. Like... You can barely make out the words sometimes. It's just horribly recorded, like garage level quality. And yeah, it, it really fucking slays. It's got like awesome guitar solos in it. It's big riffs that are stupid and dumb. Uh, yeah, really fucking good. So I think they're, they're kind of adjacent to that whole like, uh, like dark punk thing that's like... Um, Zorn and Devil Master are doing. Yeah. Where they're kind of like that's on the kind of goth end of things. This is on the like the fresh end of things, where we're rediscovering that kind of that kind of aesthetic from the eighties that was like, this is like the cheesy slasher movie kind of aesthetic. But um Yeah, where like if um if a group like uh <clears throat> municipal waste kind of made yeah. it Definitely. Um, comparable. Way. Great band, by the way. Not not trying to nash, uh, bash them, but they did kind of lean into like it's kind of funny. These guys are just. What if you just made it over the top and trusted people would get it? Yeah, make a song called Punk Fucking Metal and make it punk and metal as fuck, and it works. Really, really works. So you have to hate fun to not like it. Oh yeah, you have to be a, a joyless uh, tool. You have to like wear a monocle and carry a briefcase everywhere. Metal is serious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was who was that? Did you see that? Uh, I think it was some Facebook post about uh, 
by some like metalist cult and serious yeah guy and about like i've got black metal demos that are worth more than your life (laughs) yeah oh i feel really bad for those people (laughs) no that's like it's like a um, master the blade level of meme uh suitability but anyway let's listen to uh zigzags uh this is punk fucking metal and it is punk fucking metal and it's off they'll never take us alive that was zigzags with um punk fucking metal was it punk fucking metal dear listener yeah it was you you heard that it was the most punk fucking metal you could possibly do 
it was Motorhead and Judas Priest and Metallica all playing at once. It was so good. And let's be uh, clear here. If you don't like that, fuck yourself. Oh, yeah. With something sharp, jagged. So, yeah. Um, I'll probably be playing them again in the future because if they keep up that quality for the whole album, then it's going to be cool. And It'll they will be probably like be on like. Or how they just whip ass. That's that's the only connection there. They both whip ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're going to be playing something completely fucking different for the uh, end of the show. We're gonna. That's yeah, going to be a nice. That's going to be a nice little surprise for everyone there. Just as different as it could possibly be. But um. So, to to ease us into the the uh, mysticism and magic that we will be experiencing at the end of the episode. I kind of wanted to talk a bit about the Beyond the Hedge essay at the end. I think it's, it's the last essay in the book, I'm fairly sure. Yes, it is. And uh, it's kind of semi-mentioned or set up in the very first essay where she talks about the different approaches she's had. And she mentions trying magic. Um, not, again, like we said before not as a alternative to treatment but as an alternative treatment as a, a thing you can do to to take the edge off to reintroduce a bit of control over your life to have rituals like literal rituals to do to which can be helpful if you're like losing sense of reality like yeah pretty much anything can be improved by doing a little bit of adding a little bit of ritual to it like when i quit smoking i i have rituals to do they weren't like witchy, but you know it it helped. So yeah, I want to want to just like pin down where she stands on that kind of thing because I mean, she's she mentions religion at another point in the book. She's interested in Catholicism for the kind of same reasons a lot of intelligent people are. You know, it's kind of cool and you get these you get to eat blood and stuff and you know catholicism is pretty cool religion like that's probably it'd be the one i'd pick yeah i mean it sucks but also it is oh yeah really don't tight. get me wrong there are there are, <clears throat> a, there is a quite uh a thing that's quite wrong with catholicism as it's currently practiced uh in fact there are many but yeah but still in in, in the abstract it's it's pretty cool get wicked wicked ass sensors you get weird rituals there is yeah. a fixation on death that's tight mm, yeah uh so yeah she seems interested in that side of things for the kind of mystical aspects of that but yeah i, I kind of with her practice of of magic let's let's just call it magic for now yeah, with with a CK. Um, what what did you think? How does this, like how does this fit into? Okay, so one of the one of the concerns I had with this particular part was it's easy to fuck yourself up with mystical stuff of any kind. And if you're, you know, if you're prone to psychosis, and if, you know, if there's difficulties in your life already, then you're much more sensitized to fucking yourself up with this. If you get what I mean, um, <coughs> uh, you know, just like losing the context of it, losing. I mean, I don't want to make it as, say something as reductive as thinking it's all real, but that's kind of in the ballpark. If you know what I mean? Am I making any sense here? I I think so. I'm not sure exactly where your, your <laughs> question is landing, but um, yeah. I, I do know uh, at least... Um, so as someone who's dealt with um, really dumb kind of uh, depression and uh, manic stuff that sometimes would cause psychotic fits in me, sometimes would cause um, hallucination... Um, the way that this, the way that stuff like that um, 
magic also would appeal to me for for similar reasons of that it touches on that blurred sense of reality and irreality that when I was younger, religion played a similar role of the esoteric uh, nightmare fuel of angels and demons constantly in spiritual war raging across the earth for the damnation or obliteration of humanity and reality is such an absurd, fantastical thing that can really drink you up if you have any kind of mental health issues. Um, Yeah. And the way that, yeah, there is, there is a necessary caution one has to engage in when dabbling in these kinds of things, not because you are literally summoning a demon or something, but because they can reinforce some faulty perceptions of what is real versus what isn't real that can then make further therapeutic action, be it medicinal or be it behavioral, uh, much more difficult because now you have this totally altered sense of um, how reality works. Hmm. Yeah, it can, it can be as therapeutic as giving a sense of power back to someone who feels chronically disempowered um, or even just giving you the illusion of things are going to get better so that way you're not as panicked when you're trying to do them. But it can also lead you down some really weird, uncomfortable roads that can make you act uh, yeah, poorly. <laughs> Shortly, poorly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's probably as many as there are, you know, Tumblr witches out there. There's, there's a lot of, like, magic nerds, especially, and it's especially true in, like, the metal community, where there's, like, people who take shit seriously real theistic satanists and chaos magicians and stuff and yeah they've fucked themselves up with this stuff and they get uh and they lose their ability to just function as normal human beings through diving deep into all this craziness and and that's a it's a strange thing because it's not something that's necessarily inherent to practice because sometimes that gets typified as if you practice the stuff whatsoever, you're automatically a loony, cocky piece of shit. Or if you take it seriously when you're practicing, you're automatically a stupid piece of shit. Because um, that falsely says that the only time you should engage in, say, the psychological theater of magic is when you're constantly thumbing your nose at it. And that's about yeah, as dumb yeah. as saying you should only read a novel if you're constantly muttering out loud, novels aren't real, these people don't exist. <laughs> Like that's yeah. clearly you're missing the point. It's like going to a wrestling show and going like, but they're not they're, they're not actually trying to hurt each other. Did you know that? Like they have they have the <laughs> yeah. scripted loosely at least. Like it's not like you're supposed to let it be real and invest in it. But the comparison holds up. Magic is psychologically dangerous when you start treating it as real beyond real. Like um, Umberto Eco deals with that in Foucault's Pendulum, where um, the notion of it becoming, and it happened to Philip K. Dick, like as much as everyone loves and values the work that he produced, the fact that that kind of imbalanced fixation on it certainly didn't help the underlying mental health issues that he dealt with in his life and led to Mm. such deep ungrounding of his sense of what was real. Like the fact that he came ungrounded was probably just due to general mental health, but the specifics and the length of time um, almost certainly had a feedback effect, um, which ironically <laughs> validates in a, um, I've had a discussion with some like bizarro authors about this that I'm friends with on Facebook that um, ironically censors of art have one strange correct point, which is that the way that we engage with the fictional and the level to which we take it in as indicative of reality does have mm-hmm. power. And to be fair, on the left, we generally agree on that as well. That's why we don't really agree on the notion of, no, I'm just ironically saying a slur. It's like, right now you are, but that doesn't guarantee that that is forever going to be what that word means to you and to anyone who hears it. Like, language can still alter, even if it alters just our perception of reality, that perception will alter our action within reality, and now it's, it's snowballing into having real effect. And likewise, the and this is where so when we say Tumblr witches, that brings to mind the image of picking on predominantly white girls. Now to turn mm-hmm. the night around, that's at least silly and fun and can be absurd, but 
um, it's a lot of times the white dude end of things where it gets like, yeah, I'm going to legit do some like non-consensual blood magic with someone. It's like, if you want to be a theistic Satanist, Mm -hmm. that's fine. If you get something out of that, that's fine. But when you start stretching it to those, to those ends, yeah, that's where it's now dysfunctional. Hmm, yeah, and we're going to bring this up in uh, the Lords of Chaos episode a lot, but there's oh, yeah. a th- there's a pretty strong Venn diagram between neo Nazis, uh, black metal metal musicians, not just black metal, but mostly black metal, and uh, let's just call them magic users, people who are into the occult. There's a very big Venn diagram, and they're very dangerous people too. They're like you know actual bombers murderers mass shooters that's kind of thing it's 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 an issue it's uh it's a yeah. it's it's a fascinating it's a darkly fascinating not not the good version mm. uh, it's only fascinating because it's a real issue and the answer doesn't seem quite as clear-cut obviously the nazi end is a bad influence because those are all horrifically explicitly violent ideas um but we see enough examples of black metal where that's not the case or of usage of magic where that is not the case or even usage of the theater of magic where they're still delving into those very dark very ugly spaces but it's not actually done without the consent of everyone involved and remains contained within the room where it's happening so that the minute the theater of it's done you you go outside and you can go to your nine-to-five job you can go Mm -hmm. on a date you can hang out with your friends and it's not it doesn't actually directly impinge it's so strangely darkly fascinating because there are those people who become so deeply ungrounded that yeah, it seems to feed into something. And that at least touches loosely on there. um, Are there racist and patriarchal reasons why we describe mass shooters as lone wolf mentally ill folk? Yes, absolutely. Are there ableist reasons why we do that? Yes, absolutely. But the question of how one can become so deeply ungrounded from the real such that those ideas become palatable and acceptable are, um, it's a valid question. Granted, one of the big issues is why don't we extend that to, say, Warhawks? Um, yeah, very like, much so. Um, of, like, why don't we think about, like, what kind of... And also, why don't we extend that in reverse? Like, how come there are, like, um, like Wang, the, uh, the author that we're talking about, who can deal with these issues, can deal with some very severe, very reality warping at times, um, mental, uh, mental health issues, but does not become violent in those ways, does not even seem to have the impulses in those no, ways. No. Yeah, she's, I mean, I know she's, Schizophrenia is not a something that goes away, and she's going to be dealing with it forever. But she seems to be dealing with it better than most, um, better than some. Uh, partly that's because she's well, not she's not extremely well off, but she's she has enough money to access healthcare in America, which is not a easy thing at all. No, I've heard uh, it's not even particularly easy. In, the NHS in Britain, um, you even if you have a major, major breakdown, uh, you can wait weeks or months for treatment here. But um, yeah, she's she's lucky in that she's got access to resources to be able to look after herself. And um, a special shout out to her to her, I think husband, uh, initial boyfriend, then husband, because he he seems like a nice dude. He's uh, just referred to as C in the text, but he, he seems to be a rock. He's yeah. I'll, I'll buy that guy a beer. I'll shake his hand. Right. Yeah. He's a nice dude. Um. But yeah, she's without that kind of stuff though. Um, without money and people around her, then she's. Well, you see people with schizophrenia a lot. People mumbling to themselves in the street, and yeah, it's not. It's it sucks. Um, so yeah, be nice to those people, if if you can, because yeah, they're going through some shit that is literally impossible to 
explain to people. Although this book does a, a really, really good job of getting it. And, and I'm a lot closer to understanding the schizophrenias having read this book than I, than I have been before. I'm uncomfortably close with this subject matter, so I was more... Um, it's satisfying to see someone who can write about this kind of... And it's similar to a well-written horror book, because it's we come up with this as fans of extreme music, um, and sometimes that bleeds into fans of horror literature and film as well. But the question of... And this comes up with Pissgrave as well. Um, we're going to go back to Pissgrave, maybe. Of when Always Pissgrave. When is art about these very real aspects of the world, which no one who's critical of it or denying that they're real? I don't mean to put words in the mouth of anyone. I don't think that they think that mental illness or death are not parts of the real world just because they don't like this art. That would be silly. Um, but when is it exploitative, um, even self-exploitative, versus when is it um, a necessary shedding of light and uh, accepting gesture towards something that sometimes can be pushed away because people don't like to look at it and interrogating that line of like, how much do we say that we shouldn't have real depictions of death and suffering, not artistic ones, but like the only artistic defense I can think of the Pissgrave cover is that's what death looks like. Hmm. That's not the fun version that you get with death metal. That's not the fun version you get in something else. That's when you want to talk about like, yeah, I worship death. I idolize that. Well, that's what you're talking about. And the yeah. ability to put a specific image to, like, how good does that make you feel um, can be powerful. They weren't doing it like that, obviously. They were just being shit starters, if we're honest. But, oh, yeah. um, but it raises that same kind of question. And I think, obviously, she navigates that with the collected schizophrenia substantially better in that it's very much because of the way that she frames and contextualizes it subtly. She doesn't try to deliberately... Um, draw a comparison between uh, non-schizoaffective and schizoaffective episodes in her life. Instead, she just puts them side by side and trusts that you'll go like, this is what a human life with these issues looks like. So that, because otherwise, the other option is someone like her could never discuss these issues because it would always be edgy uh, or it would always be... Um, exploitative or different words that we use that can be true in circumstances but also the general term is can be used to just shut down um discussion or art about very real aspects of someone's life yeah and i mean the term misery memoir is can shut people shut stuff down there's a lot of valid really good writing about people's suffering and like the things like um, a million little pieces and the, that whole the whole little time in publishing history where everything was a misery memoir kind of yeah didn't do a very good service to yeah, the people who should be telling their stories which includes mrs uh, wang here who is yeah, yeah. It's, it's largely a um it's largely a context and ecosystem problem which which happens a lot in art and it's why we sometimes get like uh, we wouldn't have gotten the uh, the uh, the reaction to a group like Death Heaven, I think, if not for the context in which they came up, in which there were also a lot of bands that sounded roughly similar to them. But likewise, we wouldn't have gotten their um, reacceptance back into the metal fold if not for the evolving context and ecology of black metal and extreme metal as a whole, as they dropped New Bermuda and as they dropped Ordinary hum uh, Corrupt Human Love, um, is that Sometimes we look at these novels outside of, say, the context of the body of work of the author, where if they're primarily trucking in being miserable for others, fuck you, Morrissey, um, mm -hmm. then, then we can start to make those criticisms and have them really stick. But if it's part of a broader tapestry of their work and they deal with lots and lots of themes, and this one's the autobiography about real struggles that I've gone through, then append, or appending that name of misery memoir to that feels ridiculous because it's they don't have a habit of being exploitative with it you just happen mm. to not like that kind of book <laughs> yeah. and likewise the the ecosystem of how many of these are landing at the right at the same time and too often we'll also blame 
writers and not publishers, or it can be like, oh, well, we want to publish in this window because there's a boom. Well, books don't get written overnight. The idea that someone writes like a two or $300 autobiography and then you're blaming them for capitalizing on a craze when it's often created by publishing windows is also passing the buck to the person who lived through the shit as opposed to the person who decided to make a dollar off of it. Um, yeah, which is whack. Uh, it is pretty whack. Yeah, don't be whack, people. Don't be whack, publishers. Don't do it. Uh, yeah, stop being whack. And speaking of whack, out owned. Uh, yeah, <laughs> here's uh, some lame ass band you like, who suck. Yeah, that's when his, you uh... in introduce this uh, little turd in the punch bowl of this uh, episode. So, because I'm a big stupid idiot, I fucking love Dream Theater. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You probably already turned it off, and that's fine. I understand that. You're wrong, though. Because the band, undeniable bangers. Scenes from a memory, all-time classic record. Fuck you. Images and words, all-time classic record. Fuck you. Do you not like the vocals? That's fair. They can be a little bit cheesy sometimes, but also eat my dick. Oh, yeah. Um... I have my fair share of critiques about the band and of records they put out. I'm not going to act like I don't get critiques of the band. That would be stupid. Um, and my taste has moved on from predominantly listening to stuff like this. But, you know, you check in with bands. And so they dropped that over two-hour-long Game of Thrones piece of shit, The Astonishing, which I didn't like at all. Um, and I was like, fuck, um, why? Uh so when singles started coming out for the new record, which is dropping soon, I was like, well, I'll begrudgingly check them out. But, you know, I'm not expecting much. This is the legitimate, heaviest, and most cohesively song-oriented they've sounded since Train of Thought. Um, it's about as song-oriented as Octavarium or Awake, but with the heaviness of both Awake and Train of Thought, which are all... For fans of the band, at least, classic records. And Awake is at least generally considered a good metal album, even if you're not big on Dream Theater. Like, fucking Chuck Schuldiner liked Awake. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is the newest single that dropped. It's the third one so far. Album comes out soon. It's called Paralyzed. Don't worry, you stupid motherfuckers. I hate you. It's four minutes long. You got time for this one. It's not 11 minutes. Four minutes. Oh, they go too well. No, the instrumental section is like less than a minute long. It's it's a regular song. Now, I'm surprised they made this, to be fair. I was not expecting this. They made a regular-ass, heavy, proggy song. And I feel comfortable having asked to have that on here. I actually even had Gareth listen to it, and I was like, if this is just a piece of shit, we're not playing it. But he didn't say he liked it, but he said okay. I, I acquiesced. And that, you know, I'll take that. I'm I'm easy. I'm a cheap date. Yeah, and I don't want to like inflate Lander's ego too much because that's the way anime episodes happen. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it, it's an okay song. I, I don't like the vocals. Yeah, cheesy as fuck. Uh, the lyrics are yeah terrible. The lyrics but are great. Um, music musically, metal. yeah. Uh, the the instrumental sections are very good, very well done. I can appreciate the. Um, musicianship that it takes to produce this music but then i also say that about dragon force and their well, dragon, dragon force. force whips ass i'm six <laughs> i'm six yeah do i, I like them the way i like two mold no two molds actually good i'll go to the fucking fences for two mold but will i listen to dragon force because i'm six yeah i'm six damn right my favorite food is jelly i like paw patrol and dragon force sure. those are my, that's what i like so yeah, here's going to be Dream Theater with Paralyzed, and come out next week um, because we're going to be doing, I hope, Lords of Chaos. That depends entirely on whether internet pirates are going to put a pirated copy online for us to watch. Did you know that it's impossible to watch this movie because it's showing fucking nowhere? Yeah, I, it was distributed by Vice. They're like a billion dollar company and no one, nowhere is playing it. To be they, fair, they also just fired like two thirds of the company or something. <laughs> Yeah, so so fuck Vice. Dude, and... did you see that they fired Kim Kelly? I did. Yeah, that's yeah. Like that... what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, luckily Vogue have it. She's been getting away with like 
calling for revolution in vogue every week. But they um, actually let her get more political than Vice did because Vice yeah. is run by chuds. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that was dumb of Vice, and Vice is just dumb anyway. So, but, but luckily, the only good thing is now I've got no reason to talk to say nice things about Vice anymore. Vice That's just true. sucks, and yeah, I'm sure Shane Smith is just as bad as Gavin McInnes. Uh, I'm sure he's just better at hiding it and not putting things up his ass on uh, live streams. Uh, you can Google stuff. I, I'll, I'll, the short version is he's just as bad. Just have a crack at it. Have fun on Twitter looking up his name. Yeah, you, you don't like hang out with a guy who starts his own Nazi street gang and you're like, well, I respect you. Uh, I don't believe in what you're doing, but I respect your uh, right to do it. Yeah, they're just as bad as each other. No, he'll probably get his comeuppance one day. But yeah, so fuck Vice. Uh, fuck them for uh, making a film out of a guy who literally published the manual on how to be a neo-Nazi terrorist. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. And uh, yeah, the various sins of the shitty industrial folk music scene and Edgelord publishing industry and... Uh, probably dunking on the film because it's probably bad. Uh, and we'll come back. Um, we're going to do there's gonna, a book called King of Joy. Um, it just arrived in my inbox the other day. It's tight as fuck. Uh, the cover looks Vaporwave. How many books up there look in Vaporwave nowadays? Not many. That's Finnegan's Wake. Last time I checked. It, it doesn't look Vaporwave. Reads Vaporwave. doesn't look. That's like, fair. I have, yeah. I have eye disorders. <laughs> I have a brain tumor. Yeah, and he's six years old. So you know. six years old and with a brain tumor. Yeah, that, that that's that's a misery memoir. That's sad. That's right. Really sad. I, I'm sad now. It makes everything I see look like vaporwave, though. It couldn't be all yeah. that. <laughs> so yeah, so we're gonna be read that vaporwave book. Uh, we're gonna talk about the book which I love, which whose title continually eludes me. Black Wolf, uh, Red Leopard. I got it for you. Okay, thank you. You were a rock in this difficult time. This is why we got two two hosts, baby. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're going to be talking about that one, and there's a bunch of other stuff coming up. So, but first, you're going to have to get through Dream Theater. Just hate to hate to see folks. You you hate to see it. I'm or sorry. Maybe, maybe you love to see it, but here's Dream Theater. Yeah. 